And that's one of John's new toys that you got to see there. So uh, it's, it's neat, the wonderful ways that we can worship and, and experience God's presence. Now, we're going to turn this morning, uh, and in a few minutes we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to open your Bibles, you can, you can get ahead of me there. If not, it'll be on the screen in front of you. And we're, we're going to talk, just to be kind of real transparent right at the beginning, we're going to talk about the significance and the power of our words today. And, and, and the importance of thinking in, intentionally about the words that we speak. Because I think we can all identify with the feeling of wishing we could take words back. Saying something or, or being in a situation where either immediately after you speak them or in some self-reflection after something takes place, you wish you could have those words back. Once we start learning how to talk, inevitably we have one of those moments, we have one of those experiences. Some are horrifying, like when you talk, you say something you shouldn't say about somebody. I, did, I remember years ago in high school and, and saying something that was really ugly about somebody who happened to be standing right behind me. You know, that kind of moment, moment of horror. But, but times we wish we could have those words back. And we probably all have those stories. I, I read a story about a, a man named Bob. He was sharing kind of a personal testimony. And he was sharing about his own experience that, that he had had one of those really rough days at work. You know, when things just don't go well and you're in a sour mood. And that begins to shape your experiences. It shapes your interaction with others. Uh, people who love you can know. I mean, Tony knows when I've had a bad day. She can tell by my language. I mean, just the way I say things, not my language. But... <laughs> That'll take on a whole new way. Don't tell that story that way. Uh, but, but you know, you can read that if you care about people. So I'm going to dig myself out of that hole I just dug. Um, but anyway, Bob's story. What's that? When you say things you don't mean to. Yeah, exactly. When I say things I don't mean to, like now. Um, so anyway, Bob's story. Let me get back to Bob. So Bob was talk, talk, telling this story. How he'd had one of those days, and he happened to stop at the dry cleaners on the way home, pick up some dry cleaning, and it wasn't ready the, like he thought it should have been ready or it wasn't done the way he thought it should have been done, whatever, he got ugly with the manager of the dry cleaning store and he, he kind of made a bit of a scene and he, and he said some things he shouldn't have said and when he got home that evening, he was immediately remorseful. He knew it wasn't fair and it, it wasn't appropriate and he felt bad about the way he'd behaved um, and he didn't really, I don't want to say he didn't know how to make it right, but he just didn't want to go back and face him, so he just decided to do the incredibly brave thing and just not go back to the dry cleaners at all um, and kind of avoid them. We've probably done that. But, but of course, God has a sense of humor. And so uh, a few weeks later after this event, he, uh, he was wearing a dress shirt, a uh, white dress shirt, and he put a red pen in his pocket and the pen top popped off and it bled all over the white shirt. So big red stain, so he takes it home, and he and his wife both try every trick they know to get the stain out. Can't get the stain out. He knows the only shot they have is to take it to the dry cleaners. So he turns to his wife. He says, would you please take this to the dry cleaners for me? And she says, sure, because he didn't know. You know, He wasn't even sure the, the, the manager of the dry cleaner remembered the encounter, but he did, so he didn't want to go. So, so his wife does. She takes it to the dry cleaner, and she walks in, and she explains the situation. Had the shirt, the pen top popped off, it bled all over. So he says, well, let me see the shirt. So he grabs it, and he unfolds it, and he's looking at this big red spot at the chest. And he's looking at the shirt, and he looks at her, over at her, and he says, this is your husband's shirt, isn't it? 
And she said, yeah, it is. And he just looked at it for another moment, and he glanced over, and he just mumbled, good shot. (laughs) And the point was, he did remember. He did remember, and it was tongue-in-cheek, but our words have an impact. They shape our relationships. They shape our interactions with others and what other people think about us as certainly as they do for you with people who you've encountered. And we turn to, to Ephesians this morning and that's, that's kind of what Paul wants us to take inventory of in our life. This is kind of the challenge of God's word to us is to be intentional about thinking through our words and the impact of our words and what that means and how our relationship with Christ should begin to shape the things that we say. Certainly the things that we do, but even the things that we say. So we're going to pick it up at at verse 25 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their hands, their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as clearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. To God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would um, hear, truly, truly hear your word to us today and reflect and be open to your shaping and your truth and your challenge in our lives. Lord, I, I pray these words that are spoken, these words that are spoken be of your Holy Spirit and pleasing to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Words that matter. I, I, I want to see, I'm going to put two words on the screen. Jay, I want to ask you to put these two, those two words, that first slide that's up there. Put the lorem ipsum. Anybody know what that means? Anybody know what lorem ipsum is? You're guessing. I hear some of you guessing. It um, means... Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. Now, I didn't make them up. That's not something I just put together, but I'm glad none of you said, well, I know what it means because it doesn't mean a thing. They're, they're empty words. It's actually the first two words that are used in text, um, in a place setter text. When I say a place setter text, it was developed in the 1500s, 500 years ago, in the printing press in order to create the appearance of words to create something that would give somebody an idea of what it would look like if meaningful words were on the page. And so lorem ipsum is the first two words that get generated in a just random 
um, generation of, of letters that get put together to make it look like there's actually words on a page. And it survived. It's still used today, um, those who create documents and publishers and other kind of things. And the idea is what they do is if you want to create a document so somebody can see what graphics and layout will look like, but you don't want to actually have to take the time to put some sort of text into the box, you just want to let people kind of get a view of what that would appear, what the appearance would be, you use what's called lorem ipsum, and it generates this. In fact, Jay, go to the next slide. This is what it looks like. Now, you, you can't read that, but it's all the same because it doesn't say anything. They're just letters in random orders, and lorem ipsum is always the beginning. But the idea is it just gives you the appearance of meaningful words, but there's nothing of value there. There's no, they mean nothing. They're literally empty words. They are not words of value. They just take up space. They just take up space. Now, here's what I think Paul wants us to be aware of. Here's the connection. Very often, we speak words that have meaning but have no value. See, these are words that have no meaning and have no value. The problem for us too often is that we speak words that do have meaning but they have no value. And Paul wants the church, he wants these first generation Christians, these brand new Christians to begin to take inventory of their lives, to be able to ask themselves, are the words I speak, are they meaningful and are they beneficial? And he gives us the barometer for measuring that and we're going to get to that. But before he gets to the outward expression, he begins to challenge us inwardly. See, the, the, the text, the larger text of Ephesians 4, the larger section here, Paul is, is challenging these believers to begin to put on the things of Christ, to begin to be shaped by Christ's presence in their lives, by compassion, by, by kindness, by, by the character of Jesus. So there's things that he says in order to, to be shaped by Jesus, to be shaped by the Holy Spirit, you've got to start putting things away. You've got to discard some things that... that, that begin to take root within us internally. And so he challenges them to do self-reflection, to, to take an inventory of their lives and the things that they need to start to begin to learn to let go of so that they can, and, and the verse that I didn't read at the very, very beginning is so that you can um, have new attitudes of the minds and that you can put on a new self. So in order to start to put on a new self, if I'm going to put on a new outfit, I have to first take off the outfit, or I should take off what I'm wearing to put on something new. And so that's kind of the image that, that Paul wants the believers to wrestle with. And so he says, here's some things you need to start letting go of. And here is, is right at the, at the beginning, he kind of bookends the talk about our words with a reflection of our thoughts. Before he gets to talking about our words, he wants us to take inventory of our thoughts. And so this is what he says in verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin. Are you harboring anger? Now, let me preface this. He's not saying to be angry is a sin. There are moments we experience anger. If you're human and you have emotions, you're going to have moments of anger. Jesus had moments of anger. But it's important. He says, in that anger, don't sin. Don't let the anger begin to dictate your behavior. Do not hold on. Don't let it fester. Don't let it take root within you because that's what he says. He said, and that's why he says, don't go to bed angry. A lot of us have tried to live by that in, in our relationships, maybe in our marriages. Maybe somebody told you when you were first married, don't go to bed angry. That is usually good advice. I don't know if it's easy to follow all the time, 
But, but the idea is, that the, the principle there is don't let anger begin to take root, to begin to take permanent residence in your spirit, because when that happens, you give the devil a foothold. You give the devil something to begin to use to, to poison your spirit. And so don't, don't hold on to that. Then later on, now I said he bookends. So if you go after the words um, toward the back end of the text, he says this, get rid, get rid, let go of, discard, take off, if you will, all the bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. He wants us to begin to take inventory of the things that might be, that are at risk, if you will, of poisoning our spirits, of, of corrupting us emotionally and spiritually. How many of you grew up listening to Paul Harvey? How many of you grew up listening to Paul Harvey? Okay, about half of you. Remember Paul Harvey? Paul Harvey told his stories. That was kind of, kind of his, his thing, and he had that just iconic voice. One of his stories he told was about, in one, one of his episodes, radio shows, was about a, a medical student who was um, following through on her education and uh, was doing a round, uh, was serving for a few months in a, a poison control center. Was working with, with in, in that area of uh, um, toxicology. Would that be right? Am I saying that right? Okay. All right, you guys are, nobody's telling me I'm wrong. So that, okay. And uh, he, uh, or, or she, was, she was working a hotline, and a mother called in frantic. And she said, I, saw my, I caught my daughter eating ants. daughter was eating ants, and she was worried that it was dangerous, it was harmful to her. So th- this student, she listened to the story, and she assured the mother, don't worry about it, you don't need to bring her into the hospital, she's okay. Eating ants, while not advised, isn't necessarily harmful. And she said, good. And then right before she hung up, she said, that's good to know because I gave her ant poison to kill the ants, which she had swallowed. That's Paul Harvey's rest of the story. But, but here's the thing, that changes the barometer, right? Eating ants, not advised. I don't know why you'd necessarily want to do it, but not harmful. Swallowing the poison begins to destroy you from the inside out, right? So now she said, get her to the hospital immediately. Here, here's the connection for us. Anger in and of itself is a human emotion. It's an experience. But when it begins to take residence, when we begin to hold on to it, it leads to the kind of destructive and poisonous behavior internally. It begins to rot us from the inside out with malice and, and, and anger and rage, these kind of things that begin to corrupt us. And you know this because you've probably experienced it. When you're really angry with somebody, you don't make them suffer, but you certainly do. You become consumed by it. You become defined by it. And it begins to shape us inward, outward. Because what's going on inside becomes reflected by what comes out. And what Paul says is what's happening in your heart, what's happening in your spirit, what's happening deep inside, that if you hold on to these things that poison and corrupt internally, then your words become poison and corrupted. Your behavior becomes poison and corrupted. And so he bookends this with an internal reflection because he wants what's going on inside in a pos- to, to discard those things so that we can begin to take on positive characteristics of Christ. And so he moves to talking about your words. And so, after he talks about letting go of anger, he says in verse 29, the key verse, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, previously, earlier, he'd actually said, don't speak falsehood. 
Don't, don't, speak, don't let falsehoods come out. Speak what is truth. And then go, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. So he gives this paradigm. He gives these, these um, directives, if you will. Don't um, speak falsehood. Speak the truth. And, and be, be driven by... Don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Don't speak falsehoods, speak the truth, and speak the truth with, with language that is, that is appropriate. Now, here's the thing. Those, those can be wrestled with. Those can be massaged a little bit. And what I mean by that is um, I, I've heard a lot of people over the years that have justified behavior, ugly behavior, by saying, well, I only spoke the truth. I was only telling them the truth. You know, we forget, and I didn't read that verse, but if you go to verse 15 of Ephesians 4, it's the very, very famous verse where Paul says, speak the truth with love. See, a lot of times we forget that part. But people say, well, I just spoke the truth. I just told them the truth. Okay. Well, they say, well, Paul says, speak the truth. He did. So, so yeah, okay, you want to check that off? It was truthful. He says, do it with, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your, your mouth. Well, that's dangerous. That's dangerous, because here's what I'll tell you. I've heard a lot of people that can use proper English and can cut people right to the bone. You've been cut to the bone by people who never said a foul word, but they sliced you with the language that they used. He says, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Speak the truth. These become these kind of barometers. But, but what's more important is the measuring stick he gives. Speaking the truth is important. Speaking the truth in love is important, but does your language, do your words, does your wholesome, does it build people up? Because that's the measuring stick. Does it, he says, speak your words that build people up. Speak words that are beneficial for those who are listening. This is where our words shift from lipsum, um, um, ipum, ipsum, which are words that mean nothing, to words that begin to benefit the hearer. Our words should have meaning and value, and that value should be to the benefit of those whom we are speaking to. Now, you can speak tough words of love, but words of love that are meant for the betterment of the hearer. Parents do this all the time. You speak tough words of love to your kids. They don't necessarily like it, but the intention isn't to tear them down, but it's to build them up. He wants the early church, he wants these followers of Jesus to be intentional about thinking what are the effect of their words? What are the effect of our words on those who hear them? And don't hide behind some false notion of speaking the truth when your words are really intended to cut people to the bone. Now, contextually, the first Christians, I mean the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, they had this concept because they were Jewish. The first followers of Jesus, they were, they were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The Christian faith wasn't meant to be its own religion. It was really meant to be a renewal, a, 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 a kind of a, a part of the Jewish faith because those first believers believed that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecy of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. So that's important because their faith was rooted in Judaism and Judaism had this very concept within its teaching. The rabbis would teach a, a concept called Lashon Hara, which Lashon Hara meant the evils of the tongue, the tongues of evil, if you will. And what it spoke to is the fact that your words, 
And it actually, it's a derivative of Leviticus 19.16, which says, don't engage in spreading rumors and gossiping. Don't engage in spreading rumors and gossiping. And the idea is that your words should build people up. Anything you say, if it cuts people down, if it's harmful or destructive to them, that violates, or that is, lapson hara, which is a tongue of evil. And so the, the Jewish listeners... They, they would say, yeah, we've been rooted in this kind of teaching. But Paul's writing to a church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus is made up of, of those living outside Jerusalem, outside Israel. And it's made up of Christians who aren't rooted in the Jewish faith. They're, they're coming from different traditions in this, in this Roman world that they lived. And he wants them to be very, very intentional about thinking through the impact of what they're saying. Because the truth is, for them and for us, your words are part of the evidence of your faith. They're the one thing, one of the two ways that we can measure the sincerity of your professions. That we can measure the, the truthfulness of your declarations. If you come in here, and I talk about this all the time, and we sing our praises to Jesus, and we talk about the love of God at work in our lives, and then you go out and people see you be ugly and nasty to others, that's an easy way to measure the sincerity of your faith. It's an easy way to measure whether or not you're opening your heart into what God is wanting to do. Are your words, are what people hear from you, what they receive from you, are they building up? Are they blessing the hearer? Are they just seeking to tear down? And Paul wants these new Christians to take inventory of their lives, to self-reflect inwardly, and to gauge what's coming out externally. Because they're in a process of becoming. They're in a process of growing into the image of Christ. And you know what? So are we. So are we. I don't care how long you've come to church. I don't know how many years you've been in church, how many Bible lessons you know, how many scriptures you can recite, how many hymns you can sing. You're in a process of becoming, and none of us are there yet. But I think the longer we walk in faith, sometimes we lose the, 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 the desire, maybe, certainly the practice of self-reflecting. See, I, I love brand new Christians. I love raw new exuberant Christians because they are so open and reflective on what it means to, to walk with Jesus and they're so, they're so raw and unrefined in their faith and that is sometimes refreshing because you know I'm a church kid I grew up in the church you know this second generation pastor I know how to speak church I know how to, to, to and I don't mean church is a game but I know how to give the you know I know all the ways to, to kind of look like a good church kid or a good church adult all right and, and it can be a facade sometimes because we all have our rough, rough points. Brand new Christians, they haven't learned that yet. They haven't, they haven't gotten indoctrinated into that. And there's a raw and a, and a, and a sincerity in that. And, and I see that over and over. When, when Tony and I first started ministry and we were serving the church in, in Largo and we had the joy, it was such a wonderful few years of ministry. And one of the things we got to do is um, we led a young adult group. And once a month we would go to a homeless shelter in Clearwater. We would take food uh, that we made either at the church or we'd bring them from home and we'd take and we'd serve and we'd have a meal with these clients that would come into the shelter. And then we would lead worship and we'd worship together. For those who wanted to, you didn't have to, you know, you could come and eat and leave, but those who wanted to stay could worship. And every Sunday night this happened, there was a different group in the church every once a month that would go and do this. So there was kind of a, a steady um, opportunity to build relationships. So we would go and eat, and then we would go into this little chapel area, and sometimes it would be maybe 10, 15 people. 
and somebody would bring a guitar and we'd sing some songs and we'd have a lesson. And then sometimes these new, some of them brand new Christians, these, these a lot of times guys and girls that, that lived on the street and they were battling their addictions and they were battling their own um, demons, if you will, and they were battling the pain of their past, they, they, they would start to share their life story. And they would share their experience of coming to this faith in Christ, but it was all so brand new that sometimes they were painfully and wonderfully authentic. And what I meant was they didn't use church language. In fact, sometimes they didn't use good language at all. They just spoke what they knew. And they spoke, and sometimes even in their testimony, some of their pain and some of their anger would start to bubble up and their language would get incredibly colorful. And inevitably what would happen in the midst of this, they would kind of recognize that there were some old habits that they were falling back into and they would stop and they would look at me and they'd always look at me because I was the preacher and they'd say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't say that. And I want to tell you what, I loved those moments. Not because I was offended and not because they needed to be sorry or feel guilty. They didn't trust me. I was not in the slight bit offended by their four-letter words. What I loved about that moment was it was a recognition in their lives that God's doing something and I'm trying to put on a new character. There's something about my old way of life that I want to let go of and I don't want this language and I don't want this anger and I don't want these emotions to bubble out of me anymore. I want to take on more of Christ. And they didn't say it in so many words, but it was an honest moment of saying, yeah, I'm just not there yet. I've got a long way to go. And I love the authenticity, and I love their energy, and I love their desire to be more like Jesus. And I thought, man, sometimes some of us, we lose that because we don't use that language and we don't show those kind of sharp edges. But sometimes we lose that same passion for becoming that they had and recognizing that we all have a long way to go. And we need moments in our lives and we need people in our lives that we can help to be self-reflective. You need to take moments of your lives and ask the Lord, am I holding on to things I don't need to hold on to? Am I holding on to anger? Am I holding on to, to malice? Am I holding on to rage? Am I holding on to things that are corrupting me? And how is that flavoring the way I engage with others? How is it flavoring the words that I speak to others? You want to do something dangerous. You want to do something dangerous. You ask the people in your life, your best friends, your family members, you ask your kids, parents, ask your kids if your language builds up and benefits others. Ask your language if your, or ask your kids if your language affirms and blesses or hurts and tears down. They'll tell you, I think. I don't know. I haven't been brave enough to ask my kids yet. So... But, but we need to be reflective because what's going on on the inside begins to shape what comes out. The words that we speak, and, and we don't need uh, lorem ipsum, empty words. Our words should have meaning. Our words should have value. Our words should have a positive impact. Paul wants us to begin to let go of some of those things so we can put on the way of Christ. In fact, in Colossians, that's, the, that's what he does. He says, put on, be clothed in Christ, put on his compassion, put on his humility, put on his patience. Paul says here that we, at the end, that we can start to take on that character, that we can begin to reflect Christ. Your words are a reflection of your faith. And we all have a long way to go. Take inventory and keep moving. Keep moving in your journey. There's a, a story 
It's, it's a legendary story. We don't have any real historical evidence that it's true, but it's a powerful story nonetheless, and I want to believe it's true. And it's of a, a, a Polish pianist by the name of um, Paderewski. Pa- Paderewski, I'm sorry, Paderewski. He lived in the late 19th century, early 20th century. And the story's told that he was doing a concert series in America. And so he'd go to these concert halls and he would play. And, and one concert, a mother brought her, her young son. He was nine years old. And uh, she wanted him to hear this, this pianist play and this beautiful music. And, and he, he didn't want to go. He didn't want to sit still for that. He, he was taking piano lessons, but only because his mom made him. He didn't want to do that either. Some of you know that feeling. And um, so before the concert began, he was restless and squirming. And she's trying to keep him calm and she's trying to keep him patient. And um, as they're sitting there waiting, she kind of gets distracted. She has a kind of a conversation with somebody to her left. Her son was sitting at her right. It's just long enough so that when she turned back around to look for him, he wasn't there. The seat was empty. And so she has that moment of panic. Where has her son gone? And that panic immediately turned to horror when she looked up and sees him walking up on stage, this nine-year-old little boy walking on stage and making his way to the big grand piano that was set up for Paderewski's concert. And he sits down, as a little boy will do, and he just starts punching out chopsticks on the piano. Now, his mother is horrified. The crowd is aghast. How can any mother let this child come up and and ruin and, and mess with this wonderful evening that we're all about to have. And so there's the murmurs and there's the, 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 the judgment that's coming and the mom wants to get further and further under the chair in front of her. As all this commotion's going on, the story's told that Paderewski saw what was happening. And there's a little boy sitting there playing chopstick. He just walked up behind him. At this point, the mother is in full terror. But he comes up behind the little boy And he flanks his left and his right hand on the outside of the boy's hands. And as the boy's playing chopsticks, he begins to play a counter melody. And the crowd becomes quiet. And they begin to listen. And he leans down into the boy's ear. And he says, don't stop. Just keep playing. Don't stop. And together, something beautiful happens and I hear a story like that and and I think of my own life and I think of the crude and I think of the inconsistent way in which I live out my faith and I imagine to God it must sound like a nine-year-old boy trying to punch out chopsticks on a grand piano what God does is he envelops us what God does is his Holy Spirit comes within us and he just whispers into our ear don't stop keep playing, keep becoming, keep assessing, keep growing, keep moving, keep day to day to day letting go of the rage and the bitterness and the anger and putting on the compassion and the generosity and the love of Christ because when you do, I begin to change and the music becomes beautiful and the impact becomes powerful and the legacy becomes real. We're all somewhere on the continuum but we ain't any one of us there yet. Keep going. Keep playing keep moving take inventory do your words have meaning do they bless the hearer do they reflect the flavor of christ and wherever you are don't stop becoming amen let's pray 
Lord, we start with a word of gratitude for your infinite patience with us as we have so far to go. And too often our words don't build up. They do tear down. Too often our words aren't for the benefit of the hearer, but for the venting of our own emotions that just we sometimes don't want to let go of. But Lord, you don't quit on us. And you continue to challenge us to take inventory, to let go. That's hard, but through prayer, to let go day to day of those things that would poison our spirits so that we can take on the character of Christ. And that that would be reflected by the words that we speak. And that we would honor you with those words. And we would honor and love others with those words. Lord, may that be the testimony of our lives. The faith that we profess, may it be lived out in the actions and the words of our behaviors. This is our prayer. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen.